Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 5, Jesus asks us a most crucial question. Do you want to get well? In order for us to be healed of something, we have to be aware of our sickness. The Bible says that all human beings are inflicted with the disease of sin. Regrettably, it affects everything we do, and the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is the only solution to our sin problem. Let's open our Bible to John chapter 5 and learn the only way that we will ever get well. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas. Hopefully y'all are just rocking in Jesus. Man, just just spending time with Jesus, y'all. There is there is nothing more profitable, nothing more beneficial, nothing more helpful, nothing more useful, nothing more put anything out of it good for you and I in this life than spending time with Jesus, than growing in our relationship with Jesus, growing to truly know him, not just know about him, but know him intimately, growing to know him in the word of God, in the scriptures, growing to know him in worship and praise, and not just on Sunday morning in church. Throughout our days, we can worship Jesus and praise Jesus. Worship is not just singing. Everything we do can be worship if we do it unto Christ and for Jesus Christ our Lord. Spending time in prayer, spending time in thanksgiving to Jesus, and above all, growing to, to obey him in every aspect of our lives and, and growing to repent when we fall short. Wow, we were talking about that last night. Well, thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, today, we're going to start John 5. Um, we're going to be discussing verses 1 to 15. Um, healing at the pool of Bethesda. Incredible scriptures. I mean, powerful. I mean, we did this again at Bible study last night. And uh, and man, it was, it was just a blessed time. I was convicted by it. I don't know what we had. 30, 40 people, I don't know how many were here, but uh, they were convicted by it. And it was just a, a wonderful time of being in the scriptures. Um, we did Bible study first. And then um, my wife and the worship team led in worship. Um, I just did a, a wonderful job. So it was just a beautiful time. So, Father, we do invite you into this time. We thank you for the living word of God. We just thank you for our Bible, Father. We thank you that we have the Holy Scriptures. Above all, Father, we thank you for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that we are the bride of Christ. We thank you that we are the body of Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've come and given your life for us, that we might know you and have relationship with you and be forgiven of our sins. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures, the living word of God, 
We ask you humbly to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. All right, John 5, 1 to 15. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and we will get rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep them doggies rolling. That was from an old Western rawhide. You know, I think that was like in the 70s or something. Might have been the 60s. I'm not sure. Um, uh, that's American television for those that listen or watch overseas. Rolling, rolling, rolling. All right. John 5, 1 to 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is powerful, Rebecca. Golly. All right. Verse one. Chapter five, verse one, Gospel of John. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. There were three, there were many feasts, but there were three major feasts a year in the, in the Jews' culture, in the Jewish calendar. Uh, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Purim were the three, piece, uh, the three feasts as I studied in, in preparing for this. It's interesting to note that Jesus, again, is, is Jewish. Okay, he comes, he was born Jewish, he has Jewish heritage, and so he does enjoy and he does participate in the Jewish uh, traditions that were laid out for the Jews. And in America, we have traditions, right? M uh, most of us as Americans uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. It's an American tradition that Abraham made Thanksgiving, not Abraham, Abraham Lincoln made uh, Thanksgiving a uh, a holiday in the United States during the Civil War as a time for us to worship and be thankful to Jesus, to be thankful to our God and Father, to be thankful to the Holy Spirit. 
And it was a day set apart. And obviously today we have a tradition and most of us do something. We go do something or have dinner with our family or we have some type of gathering. Is it's part of an American tradition on Thanksgiving. We do that obviously on Christmas. Almost all of us as Americans have some type of celebration or gathering and gift giving on Christmas. And again, Christmas is a time we obviously celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we exchange gifts. And again, this is a tradition we do. This was a tradition of the Jews given by the Lord in the Old Testament. And Jesus, Jesus, you know, he went and he partook of these traditions. Um, and it was a part of his culture. In the traditions I laid out, it's good for us to participate in these as long as it doesn't go against the will of God. Um, you know, if, if your family, you know, just has a, a tradition or if some friends have a tradition of, you know, every particular holiday just getting, you know, stumbling drunk, that's not a, tra a good tradition to participate in. It's wrong. It's sinful. Okay. Um, you know, it's to have a glass of wine, to have a beer. There's nothing wrong with that biblically. But the Bible does say that to drink to a point of excess and being intoxicated is sinful. So simple point is that enjoy the traditions you have that are not sinful or against what the Bible teaches. Um, they're a good thing to enjoy the traditions of whatever your country celebrates. Does that make sense? Jesus is Jewish. So he goes up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. We're not told which one this is. In probability, it's Passover, but we're not told. Again, it could have been Passover, Pentecost, or Purim. We had talked about earlier in the scriptures when Jesus was up there at Passover, when he emptied the temple in chapter 2, when he turned over the tables, that there were probably around 250,000 people in Jerusalem at that time. So once again, he's in Jerusalem. There could be like a quarter million people. And, you know, this is not a big city. Verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five colored covered colonnades. This is very interesting because this, this place has been excavated in Jerusalem and it's exactly how it's laid out here. It's pretty cool. This is 2000 years old and this area has been excavated, you know, by archeologists and there it is, there's the pool and there are indeed five covered colonnades, just as the Bible says, okay? The Bible is the word of God. What it says is true. It's God's word. And it's, I thought it was pretty cool that uh, when I was studying this, that, that there it is. There are the five covered colonnades, and uh, it's just as it says in the scripture, as John wrote it 2,000 years ago. You can trust the Bible. Faith is taking God at his word. You can have faith that everything written here is true. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse three, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. 
So in the five colonnades, people who were sick, it says the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they used to lie there. Um, in You'll notice that in the Bible, in your scriptures, it goes right from verse 3 to verse 5. There is no verse 4. And that's because in the original manuscripts, okay, it, it, it doesn't have verse 4. Now, verse 4 is, is clearly spoken about in verse 7. But since the, the first couple manuscripts did not have verse 4, which says, verse 4 says, and they waited for the moving of waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord, verse 4, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease he had. So the reason you don't see it in your Bible is it's not in the earliest manuscripts from which we get the scriptures. And so rightly it's left out, which means the Apostle John probably didn't write it and it was added in later for understanding. But since it's not there, it wasn't in there. Now you'll notice in verse seven, it's clearly alluded to. Because you notice that the paralyzed man, the invalid, says in verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So remember, there was this was either a fact that an angel came down, could have been an invisible angel, and stirred the waters, and the first six person to get in the water would be completely cured of whatever sickness or disease they had. Or it could have just been legend, right? It could have been an urban legend that this was the case as well. But obviously, uh, many, many, many people believed it. And yeah, I mean, we can, we can understand that. If you're blind, lame, sick, you're an invalid, I mean, you want to believe for healing. So they would gather here uh, in these five covered colonnades, and people would bring the sick people here. Like this man would have had to have been carried there. He would have had to been carried with, you know, a couple of big strong guys on two sides of the map would have had to, to carry him and put him here and place him here in hope, his hope and others that he would be, you know, he would be the one into the water to heal him. So verse five. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years this man could not walk, was paralyzed. 38 years. It's, it's inconceivable, isn't it? To be in that position, to feel sick, or to be lame, where you, you know, to, to be disabled, to be paralyzed. For 38 years, literally almost none of us. I have a brother, Abe, um, you know, uh, who's been afflicted with, uh, you know, just chronic, chronic multiple sclerosis. And he's a, uh, a quadriplegic. 
And, uh, you know, I love him. He's my brother. He's my friend. We went to high school together. Now we're rolling up into our, we're, we've blown into our fifties and, uh, still he's got such a good attitude, you know, for someone who's, who's paralyzed. He can't move his arms or his legs, barely his neck, it seems. And, uh, and Father, I ask you to have mercy on him. I, I, I can't imagine. I think Abe's been in this position for like 20 years now. And uh, Father, we ask you to have mercy. We, 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 the, the vast majority of us, the 99.9999% can never imagine what it's like to be in this position. Have mercy, Father. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Why does Jesus ask him this? Why does Jesus ask him, do you want to get well? Because the obvious reason that he's here is because he wants to be the one that's healed. So it's clear he wants to be well. But Jesus is not just speaking about his physical condition. Jesus is speaking about his entire person, his physical condition and his spiritual condition. And indeed, this is the question that Jesus is asking all of us today. Jesus is asking you today, do you want to get well? None of us will get well in any way until we comprehend what it is we need to get well from. We said yesterday in Bible study, if someone has cancer, they're certainly not gonna go get treatment for cancer if they don't believe they have it, or if they're unaware that they have it, they're not gonna go get uh, cancer treatment because they don't believe they have cancer. They don't believe they're sick. Again, it's an interesting question because all these people are at this place because they want to be healed. Disabled people, verse three, blind, lame, paralyzed. 38 years, this man can't walk. He can't get up, right? He's paralyzed. You see, he says in verse seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So again, this was the story that an angel would stir the waters. The first one in would be cured of whatever sickness and disease they may have. He has no one to help because obviously everybody's trying to get in themselves for, their, for whatever healing they want or desire. It's a pitiful situation. It's sad. And who knows how long that this man has been placed here during these feasts. But something different is happening now. Someone new has come on the scene. Now, he don't know who it is. But Jesus is standing before him. And Jesus asks him this pertinent question. And he's asking you this question today, Scott. He's asking all of us this question today. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? 
Jesus is speaking again, as I've already said, holistically, okay? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, do you want to get well today? Again, it's an odd question because obviously the man is put here. So Jesus knows that the man doesn't want to have to remain paralyzed, but yet he asks him. Many of us don't want to get well. And Jesus really cannot help us until we want to get well. Where are we sick? Where are you sick, Lauren? Kristen, where are you sick? The Bible says that all of us are infected with the disease of sin. God has given his word, Romans 3.23, that all of us are sinful and fall short of God's holy standard. The Bible proclaims that all of us are sick, sick with sin. And Jesus is asking you today, do you want to get well? And the truth is, the majority of the world doesn't want to get well. They don't want a solution for their sin. The vast majority of people, certainly rational people, admit that, that they are sinful people. They will admit that they've done wrong. They'll admit that they haven't lived a perfect life. They'll admit that they have sinful thoughts, sinful desires, that they speak sinful words, ungodly, selfish, vulgar words sometimes, improper words. And they'll admit they have selfish and sinful actions oftentimes. And the Bible says that we are, we are sick with sin. And the Bible says we're helpless, hopeless, nothing we can do about it. We need a savior to save us from our sin. In John 14 of this book, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. It's only in Jesus Christ that you can be made well of your sin. And he's asking you today, do you, you personally, want to get well? It's not a group thing. It's not like a whole church thing. You have to come to Jesus personally and specifically. And you have to come to him knowing your need of him. You have to come to him confessing your knowledge that you are sinful. And that you need a savior. And there's nothing you can do. And then you say, Jesus, yes, I do want to get well. I do believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you lived a perfect life for me and died a torturous and perfect death for me at the cross. And I believe you're alive and risen. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now, I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart and to save me from my sin to be the Lord of my life and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and hope and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen and amen. That's, that's the beginning of how you get well. That's the start of getting well. You cannot get well 
until you first acknowledge where you're sick. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Okay. Again, it, it's, 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 it's an overwhelming question. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So it's understandable that the man is still talking about the pool. Okay? But Stephen, there's somebody on the scene that don't need that pool. Okay? Whatever, whatever it was, and again, it could have been true that an angel stirred the waters. Or again, it could have been, you know, just an urban legend. But now Jesus is on the scene. Jesus is not going to go down and stir the water and help the man in the water. It's almost interesting that when the Lord asks us, do you want to get well? And he is asking us, often we have all kinds of reasons. Some of them, you know, seem legitimate to us. God, the guy can't move. How's he supposed to get down in the water? Jesus don't pay no attention to that. And some of us say the same thing. We give all kinds of reasons, Bobby, as to why we don't want to get well of our sin. All of us have been hurt. You know, all of us have had disappointments. All of us have just struggled. And the Lord loves us in spite of all of that. But no matter what it is, Jesus is offering you today. And like this man, the man's got his reasons, again, because, you know, he's naturally thinking about the physical. You notice in verse 8, Jesus don't pay any attention to what he says. And this is awesome. Do you want to get well? Well, sir, I got this problem. I can't get down into the water. Somebody gets in there before me. I can't move. I'm paralyzed. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up. The man's in the middle of his speech as to why all the problems he has. Get up. First two words of Jesus, and that's what he's telling you and I today. Wherever you are, Jesus is saying, get up. And when he says, get up, look what he says. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. When Jesus says, get up, he's telling us that there's like an infusion of faith. It's like the very word of Jesus. When Jesus says, get up, that's the word of God. We say it over and over. There's nothing more powerful than the word of the living God, your Bible. When Jesus tells the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Look at verse nine. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked at once. Jesus spoke to him. When Jesus speaks, it is the word of God because Jesus is God. When Jesus says, get up, the word of God, the words that come from Jesus's mouth immediately infuse the man with faith. What was it like for the man? Was the man like thinking, 38 years, y'all, paralyzed. What was that like? All of a sudden, the word of Christ, the word of God, Jesus looks at him and says, get up. The man has all these reasons why he can't get well. Jesus says, get up. Even as Christians, we got all kinds of reasons why we can't get well. And Jesus is telling us today, get up. What is your mat today? Pick up your mat and walk. What is my mat? 
Each one of us today need to get up and pick up our mat and start walking with Jesus a little more. Right, Benny? We need to walk in with Jesus a little more. We need to pick up that mat, Peyton, and walk. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk, Chloe. What is your mat today? What is it that's just got you beat down? What is it that you're just laying on? And Jesus is saying, after we gave all the reasons why we can't do it, Jesus is saying, get up, pick up your mat and walk today. The word of God has power. The word of God builds our faith. I think it's Romans 10, 17 that says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. The more you put the word of God, the Bible in you, the more your faith will come, the more your faith will grow. At once. See, Jesus didn't get down into the pool, Tom. Jesus didn't go down in there and stir the water. Jesus don't need the pool. Jesus don't need any of this. At once. The man was cured. How, how, how did Jesus do it? Jesus didn't pray for him. He just willed it. He decided. And at once the man is cured. That's the power of Christ, the power of the word of Christ. And that's what we have in our Bible, y'all. That's why we consistently say we want to spend more time in our Bible, reading our Bible, studying our Bible, memorizing our Bible, and above all, obeying our Bible. Just the more time we spend in the scriptures, just the more that our faith will grow. And the more we will walk in power in relationship with Jesus Christ. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. You know, now we're going to get to just a very, very difficult, very hard place here. You know, this is a very, very sad place. And most of us have been in this place. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. For us, the Sabbath is Sunday. We go to church on Sunday because... That's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. But before Christ was raised from the dead in the Old Testament, in Jesus' day, the Sabbath was a Saturday. Um, and again, we changed that. The seventh day is Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday is the seventh day they rested. And again, now we've gone to Sunday um, for the last 2,000 years because that's the day our Lord and Savior was raised from the dead. And so we worship him uh, and go to church on Sunday. Now, we, we, we ought to worship Jesus every day. We can have church every day. We can go to the building every day. You can walk with Jesus and should walk with Jesus every day in your home. Anywhere you go is church, okay? Yes, there are these wonderful buildings we go to, churches where we can worship together and sing together and uh, get a good Bible teaching, and that's wonderful as well. But every day now is a proper day to worship Jesus and to spend time with Jesus. Verse 10. Okay, end of verse nine. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, verse 10. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. It is odd that they don't say anything about the fact that, wow, you've been paralyzed 38 years and you're well. They care nothing for that. 
Christianity is not about religion. All they care about is these religious laws that they had made up over 600 laws that weren't in the Bible. Um, You were supposed to rest on the Sabbath and not do work on the Sabbath. And so there was a man-made law that was made up that the Jewish people followed. Jesus didn't, but that the Jewish people followed that said you're not supposed to carry your, your bedroll. So instead of being excited and just and just honoring and just being praising God and worshiping him and wanting to go find the man who did this so they could worship him, all they care about in their religion is why are you carrying your mat? And sometimes, y'all, we can get clouded by religion where we have more religion than we have relationship. Biblical Christianity is not about religious tradition. It's about a growing relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ, as we say about over and over and over and over. And and even as Christians, we can easily have this type of religious attitude. These were the pastors and teachers of Jesus's day. They have no compassion or care that this man has this wonderful miracle. They're just worried that he's carrying his bedroll. And it's ironic, right? Because... The man would have had to have been carried here every day of the feast. How much effort would have had to have been put in for two men to carry him on this mat all the way to one of these colonnades and carry him away? Apparently, they weren't worried about that, but it would seem to take comparatively very minimal effort just for the man to carry his bedroll. But they were concerned about that. We can get this backwards in our thinking. We really can. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us to, to just be men and women who, who, who live our lives, Lord, just, just, just laboring in relationship with you, looking to walk more and more in relationship with you and not just looking to have dogmatic religion. There's a difference between religion and relationship. Now, we need obedience. We need to obey the word of God. We need to increasingly obey the word of God. But this is a picture of of what religion looks like. This isn't in the word of God. The word of God didn't say you couldn't carry your mat. And you notice it was Jesus who told him, pick up your mat and walk. So it must not have been wrong because Jesus told him to do it. Apparently Jesus ain't playing these religious games. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Verse 11, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. I was was ordered to do this by the man who made me well. And that was Jesus. Again, very clearly, Jesus is not in compliance with things that are not in the word of God. And nor should you be. If somebody puts some religion on you or some book that's not the Bible, you don't want to comply with that. Okay, There is nothing but the Holy Scriptures. There's nothing but our Bible. We, we live according to the Bible. We, we, we believe according to the Bible. And we adjust our lives to the living Word of God, the Scriptures. No other book is to be made equal to it. If someone tries to put another book from any other religion or any Christian denomination, uh, you say, absolutely not. I believe in the Bible alone, in the scriptures alone. 
and I'm living my life according to the word of God and I'm trying to do it more and more. And I know Jesus Christ alone is my only Lord and Savior. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Again, when you look at the heart here, their heart is not again very concerned with the man's miraculous healing. Would you not be happy and delighted and rejoicing with a man who had just been healed after 38 years being paralyzed? I hope so. I hope I would. Who is this fellow? Not who is this fellow who healed you? Who is this fellow that made you well? Give me a hug. Who is this fellow who just who 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 did this incredible blessing for you? Nope. Who is this fellow that told you to pick it up and walk cuz that's all they care about? I'll say again. Romans 15:4 says that everything was written in the Bible to teach us and instruct us. And we can have this kind of heart. There are times where we, even as Christians, can show no compassion, no excitement, no just mercy towards someone. And instead, we'll throw religion on them. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Again, we're not in any way enabling someone to just live ungodly lives or go against what the scripture says. But again, this is a picture of religion without relationship. The man who was healed, verse 13, had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Why is that? Why would Jesus, remember, could have been 250,000 people in Jerusalem. Why would Jesus do this miracle and then immediately slip into the crowd? I was telling the guys at, uh, and girls at Bible study, most of us, if we did this miracle, right, my man Dustin would have been like, yeah, y'all see that? You see what I mean? Now you know. But, but that's not Jesus, right? You know, you know, we'd have been drawn, many of us would have just, would, would have wanted the whole world. We would have wanted attention from everybody. We would have been like, you know, now you know. You see what I mean? Maybe you'll listen from now on. But, but not Jesus. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Jesus doesn't want the attention. And the reason Jesus doesn't want the attention is he doesn't want people running to him for outward manifestations as continually happened. You know, you remember in the, in the last chapter, Jesus said, unless you people see miraculous signs, you'll never believe. He doesn't want the world running after the outward physical manifestations. Well, of course, we love the miracles that Jesus does, and we want him to do them today. But we need to run after him for who he is spiritually, for who he is as the son of God, for who he is as the savior of the world, for who he is as our savior for the forgiveness of our sins, for who he is as our, our husband, we're the bride of Christ, who he is as our Lord. We need to run after him because we want to know him. We love him. We want to live for him. We want to help others live for him. Jesus slips away because he doesn't want the attention that comes with these, these miracles that he does as God. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This is heavy. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, Jesus found him. 
The man didn't know who had healed him. But Jesus went and found him and said, see, you are well again. You're healed. 38 years of paralyzed, you're healed. But look what he says. Look at this warning. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. When we live in deliberate sin against the word of God, we'll never know the consequences that can come on us, but they can be, they can be horrible. When Jesus says, see you are well again, stop sinning, there is an implication here that, that there was some aspects of his life that were sinful that led him to be in that position. Now, oftentimes we don't know what that is, right? We're not saying that we all get sick and, you know, there's some kind of sin. Now, we don't know what it is, okay? And, and oftentimes there may not have been anything. Right. And my brother, Abe, I don't know of anything about his life that led to that. But let's say we talked about you were stumbling drunk and you went and fell off a cliff somewhere and you got paralyzed. Well, obviously, there was a direct sin that that led to that. Right. The point of what Jesus is saying that and, and, and we never know. I was talking to Jesse about this yesterday. We never know that things can be worse when we're living in rebellion against God. We do need to be living a life of increasing holiness. Increasing holiness means where we are living less and less sinful lives in every aspect of our lives. Jesus found him and he's finding us today. And he is saying the same thing to us. See, you are well again. If you know Jesus Christ, you're well. But maybe there are areas that you're not well. If you don't know Jesus if you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? I think it's John 1.12. says that all who received him and believed in him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ? Do you want to get well? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness and, and run to him in desperation and asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, placing all your trust and hope and confidence in him alone? knowing there's nothing you or I can do to save ourselves or add to our salvation. It's Christ alone. And certainly we talked about earlier in this teaching how you receive him. But we need to examine ourselves today and just see what are the areas of our life where we're not living biblically, where we're living, uh, where we still have sinful habits. And we want to repent of that. We want to go to the Lord and go to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me for my language. I ask you to forgive me for my ungodly thoughts. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, and, and to cleanse me in, of this unrighteousness and, and help me more, Lord Jesus, to live a more godly and Christ-like life. Verse 15, a man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is, this is an, an interesting point here because... Throughout these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when, when Jesus does a miracle, oftentimes we'll see people just praising and worshiping him and jumping around and dancing and being very excited. Um, you know, where it, uh, I think it was Acts 3, where Peter and John heal the cripple and he's jumping and dancing and praising God. 38 years. Now remember, the man was, would have been afraid of the Jews. The Jewish leaders wielded immense power. And he was at the temple, which is a good thing. But as soon as Jesus finds him and exhorts him, you know, 
It would have been nice to see the man to say, thank you, I worship you, I praise you, Lord. But immediately he outs Jesus. And again, because the Jews had seen him carrying his mat, and that's against all their man-made laws, the man is fearful, and he immediately goes and, and reports Jesus to the Jews. And so, again, it's interesting because this man received a healing that's incomprehensible and if you turn and look and read through the John chapter 9, which, you know, Lord willing, we'll get to here one day. But you'll see this, uh, a blind man is healed there. And this blind man is, cannot, again, is testifying to all that Jesus has done. So it's interesting um, when Jesus does something in our lives, we want to be the kind of people that worship him and praise him. For, for, for first the salvation of our souls and then his provision in every way. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you, Father, above all for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and love and goodness on our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we go forward today. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.